Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist John Brennan, who is in Las Vegas this week covering the Global Gaming Expo, a.k.a. G2E. And John sent a Slack message late Tuesday night to me and our colleague, Robert Delafave, about an incident in an elevator. So, John, your call. Is what happened in Vegas staying in Vegas, or do you want to tell the podcast listeners about it? Oh, that's a good one. Um, oh, let's roll the dice. Sure, I'll go for it. Uh, <laughs> so I've been staying on the 45th floor of a fine hotel that's remained nameless uh, here in Las Vegas. And it's the only time all week someone already is in the elevator when the uh, doors open. Uh, so an attractive woman wishes me a good evening, and I do the same. She says I look stressed, and I should go back upstairs and relax. I say um, I have an errand to run that's still... Uh, after a hectic day. And then I add that I have before that it's, it's weird to have a working trip in Las Vegas because no one else is working. Uh, then she coos at me. I'm working. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I returned in about 15 minutes from my errand. And as I near the elevator banks, I noticed the same woman about to go up as it were with another fella. Uh, and I think we had just shared a moment on the 45 floor ride, you know, now right. that dude's story is the one that stays in Vegas. I think, <laughs> I, think I think so. Your story story is uh, safe to tell, but, uh, yeah, as uh, someone who, uh, frequents Vegas, I'll just say that. We all have fun stories about that moment when we realized what was going on, uh, where where we realized, no, this is not just a random uh, woman flirting with me. Uh, yes. Well, from the New York, New Jersey area, you always get suspicious when someone's friendly. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. In, in Las Vegas, uh, if if it's a woman uh, who's dressed a certain way, be extra suspicious, I think. Uh, exactly. the way to go. Uh, all right. So uh, thank you for sharing that story, John. And uh, thank you to everybody out there for joining us for episode number 10. You can find any of our previous nine episodes on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the show in any of the standard podcast places. That way, you won't ever miss an episode. All right, Erica, later in the show, uh, you're going to be joined by Roto Grinders CEO Cal Spears. Uh, his company just launched the RG Network this week, and there's a lot of talk about it there, here, actually. Uh, I'll be skipping the interview uh, due to my busy G2E schedule, but uh, you'll be talking to Cal about every imaginable form of online gaming, I'm sure. Uh, so, first, we have a lot of news to cover, though, so let's uh, start the show. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Before we dive into our first news item this week, uh, let's talk for just a moment about the news we're waiting on as we record this on Thursday, October 11th. On Friday, the New Jersey revenue figures for September will be released. We have a couple of tips on what to expect. Uh, Play Sugarhouse put out a release in advance saying their online revenue doubled in September because of sports betting. And David Reebok dropped hints at G2E to expect some staggering numbers. Uh, so we will cover this as a news item next week. But for now, this is a gambling podcast. Uh, so, John, how about you set a line for total sports betting handle in New Jersey in September, and then I'll go over or under your line. Yeah, I love this feeling of power. Uh, you know, I said a, a rough number on Twitter and I got a few responses over and under, which is always gratifying. Uh, but I look at it this way. I, I sort of opened it at $450 million for uh, September based on $95 million in August when there's nothing going on other than baseball, really. Um, so you figure football season is college and NFL. Uh, plus, David Reebok called the numbers stunning. 
But after more thought, I realized that the in-house crowd at the Meadowlands on Sunday got bounced each week by a giant or jet game, mostly. Um, not all the online books got a full month either of September. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Rebook can actually be on the conservative side. So studying for him might be a little bit lower. So I'll give you uh, 110 on uh, $375 million. <laughs> 375 Okay, that's... That's a pretty good line. That's pretty tough. And I like that you're giving me 110. <laughs> We're not not even betting real money here, but I have to lay a price, huh? Um, yeah, I, you know, I went through a, a similar thought process just looking at obviously that August handle of 95.6 million with no football and basically one mobile sports book. Uh, so, you know, if it's something like 200 million, that wouldn't qualify at all as staggering. I'm not even sure if 300 million qualifies as staggering. So, my mind went to a similar place uh, to, to where yours went. Boy, 375. That's a good line. Um, you know, yeah, let's have some fun. I'll take the over. Uh, let's let's yep. say it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a really a legitimately staggering number. I'll, I'll go over 375. Th- this whole thing. The whole build to this number being released reminds me a little bit of being in Vegas for the Mayweather Pacquiao fight a few years ago. And on the day before the fight pay-per-view projections were coming in uh bear in mind the previous record was about 2.4 million pay-per-view buys so we all figured at least three three million for this it was going to shatter the record and then people who work for hbo started whispering about what it was tracking toward uh four million five million we're hearing six million so by the time the actual number came in at like 4.6 million it didn't seem that crazy even though it had basically doubled the previous record so a bit of a similar thing here you know if it's 300 million, that's huge, but it won't necessarily feel all that huge because we're building it up that it could be much more than that. Yeah, 300 is going to feel like Al Capone's vault with the Geraldo Rivera. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent analogy. All right. Well, I'm I'm predicting that there will be something inside the, the, the vault by saying over 375. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, let's move on to the first of our three stories of the week. Uh, as mentioned, you're at G2E. You've been there all week. You've written a dizzying number of articles for us covering the panel featuring a professional sports better and a poker pro. Uh, David Reebok's bold comments taking some responsibility for the FanDuel snafu and warning other books about avoiding similar screw ups. Uh, the AGA's victory lap on PASPA getting overturned. And a wild one with Scott Van Pelt, Sarah Slane, and Kenny Gersh uh, about the future of regulated sports betting. If you had to pick just one or two highlights or standout speakers so far this week, who and what would you go with? Well, I think the number one highlight for me is the fact that New Jersey really got its props. You know, mm-hmm. uh, here's a, uh, a national, the biggest national event in, in uh, the gaming industry uh, for the year. And the number one topic is sports betting legalization. And obviously the only reason that happened is New Jersey was so uh, rebellious. So every single panel I've been to, and I've probably been to 10 of them, uh, has referenced New Jersey and what they did and sort of gratitude. So that's the number one thing. But uh, I must say David Reebuck of uh, – the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement, though, he really was a triple threat. Uh, he took away the safe harbor concept uh, on odds of blunders away from the European sports books. Uh, perhaps to their surprise, uh, they've been sort of warned now. And uh, he called out the critics from a recent congressional hearing. Uh, uh, they had claimed that states are racing to the bottom as far as what uh, sports are going to offer or what they're offering, which has been kind of strange. Uh, he called it nonsense and fear-mongering, so hmm. no doubt about that. And then uh, he said that the league official data that uh, MLB here has been touting uh, they want to get paid for that and have everybody have to buy it. Uh, he said it has no value, zero, none. Uh, 
<laughs> but uh, topping that, I must say, is that the American Gaming Association executive, Sarah Slane, mm-hmm. and MLB counterpart, Kenny Gersh, as you mentioned, uh, them going toe-to-toe on the leagues wanting a slice of the action of sports betting was priceless. Uh, Gersh tried to put out the... Uh, sort of bungled Orwellian integrity fee claim to bed for good. <laughs> but Slane made him wear it like a scarlet letter I. She was not having it. At one point, uh, she used the word again. And on stage, Kenny looks at uh, Van Pelt and says, uh, you know, Scott, uh, what do I got to do to make her stop using the word integrity fee, do you think? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it was great. And then, of course, Gersh had an odd bit of hyperbole, especially from here in Vegas, about how well-regulated casinos in every f- fashion, suddenly they're content to have some guy in a garage watching on TV provide their data uh you know that's uh, kind of bizarre but uh it was a colorful phrase for sure and it, it blew up my twitter account that's for sure too <laughs> yeah that one's uh, as ridiculous as, as the whole uh, click your mouse lose your house catchphrase that the uh, anti-online gambling crew uh, w- was rolling out there repeatedly uh back in the day um but i'm, I'm glad you singled out uh sarah slane and and you know her her confrontation with, with kenny gersh but just um her specifically uh She's clearly a rising star in this industry. Um, I don't know if she wants to be a star. I don't know if that's what she's going for, but uh, she's really making a name for herself as someone who's well-spoken and can really handle her, herself in a, in a debate and speak intelligently on behalf of the, the industry. So I think, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Reebok uh, and but I think from my uh, long distance vantage point, not being out there in Vegas, it seems to me like Reebok and, and Sarah Slane are kind of the two that uh, have got my attention the most uh, this week. And also going back to the first thing that you wrote this week, I really like Steve Fezzik's idea that a sports book should experiment with offering minus 109 or minus 108 lines to attract more business. Uh, you know, the mobile sports books especially could do that very easily. It's just an interesting idea that could benefit both sides. And I, I know uh, you, you, you came to learn that Fezzik is a, is a controversial <laughs> character, but I think it's a good idea just the same. Uh, yeah, public enemy number four out here, apparently. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it, what's interesting, too, is that if they somebody did that right out of the gate, even a month ago, um, to get market share, right? So you mm-hmm. you offer slightly better odds. You can lure in some some pretty big fish to say, all right, I, you know, well, over time, that's going to really make a difference for me. Uh, do that for six months, right? And then after that, if you want to switch back to even, well, they can switch to another book that offers the same odds, but why bother if that's become your, your, your go-to book? Uh, obviously, you're, you're going to switch off when you, you really need the extra half point. But, um, yeah, I think that for gaining market share, that would be a good idea. It's not too late, but uh, apparently it hasn't happened yet. Right. But uh, I know I know just uh, using Steve Fezzik's name in a, in a tweet kind of blew up your mentions, huh? So, uh, <laughs> um, OK, moving on to story number two. We got a real curveball in the state by state race to start up sports betting as New Mexico, a home of Walter White and Jesse Pinkman for my fellow Breaking Bad super fans. Uh, New Mexico came from out of nowhere and it appears will next week become the sixth state to offer sports betting. New Mexico was able to jump to the front of the line without getting a new law passed because the existing tribal gaming compact, which runs through 2037, covers sports wagering. Uh, So the Santa Ana Casino has partnered with the Nevada-based company U.S. Bookmaking, and they're set to start taking bets next Tuesday, October 16th. Just that fast, it's happening. Uh, This isn't a story with a whole lot of depth to it yet, uh, but just the importance of another state going live and the shock factor of it being New Mexico make it worth covering. So, John, how surprised were you by this news and any other analysis you'd like to provide? 
Yeah, I love this out of nowhere angle, and I'll tell you why. Uh, sports law professor Ryan Rodenberg, who has been following the New Jersey case from pretty much day one, uh, would be proud of this. Uh, in the last couple of years, as he did his digging on the history of the, the PASPA law in 1992 that Congress passed that just got uh, wiped out by the Supreme Court in May. Uh, his digging found that that law really, uh, you know, it did only allow Nevada to have full-fledged sports betting and supposedly just gave a limited exemption to Delaware, Montana, and Oregon. That's the tried and true, uh, you know, sort of associated press style explanation. But actually the law was so vague that it left the door open for a number of other states, such as, yes, New Mexico. Um, so anybody from Wyoming, Wyoming rather, Arizona, uh, South Dakota, North Dakota, um, if you want to push your legislators, they may be able to offer this immediately too. Uh, there's nothing uh, uh, that necessarily said that they can't. So I, I kind of like the idea that, uh, uh, some other state, if they really look at their own uh, limitations, what, what could they do anyway? And now that passed has been wiped out, are they already there? Do they really have to go through the process again? Yeah, um, it, it's it's a good question. It'll be interesting to see, you know, who who follows New Mexico's lead because yeah, these, these tribal gaming compacts exist in a lot of states. Um, I don't have the legal expertise to necessarily interpret uh, what each of them says, but I, it seems safe to say that some states could follow New Mexico's lead here. Uh, and that could really change the math on how many states will have sports betting by 2020 or by 2023, these different um, sort of uh, stop points that, that people are, are citing and making revenue projections about what the industry is going to look like. This could really change those projections if a bunch of additional states uh, start up sports betting. So it's definitely a, it's a story to watch. You know, the question of is New Mexico its own thing, or will they set a trend here? Uh, this is one of those minor news stories. Uh, you know, it's minor for now. It could end up being a major news story when we look back on it. Well, yeah, the last thing I'm mentioning, those states are either Midwestern or Western. And obviously right. the, the trend is almost exactly mirroring the casino industry in the early 90s. Uh, the Northeast comes first. Uh, neighboring states keep going for it. They all get in. Um, the South, except Mississippi, basically resists for, for a long time, if not forever. Uh, the Midwest is a little bit slower. The West is even slower than that. So if a couple of those Western states can do it right away and with really very little effort and little little risk and just free money, um, then you might get a neighboring state. So uh, the West is still going to be a lot slower than the Northeast, but uh, it might get them moving forward a little bit, whereas otherwise uh, they're just sort of stagnant. Yep. Good observation. Uh, okay. Our final story this week. Uh, I wrote an article Monday morning reacting to the news that DraftKings is putting together its first sports betting national championship, a live event in the tradition of all their DFS live finals over the years, but with a very different format. Uh, you can either qualify via DFS satellite or buy in for $10,000. Everyone gets a $5,000 bankroll to spend on the weekend of January 11th to 13th, 2019 at DK Sportsbook. And the biggest bankroll at the end wins the million dollar first place prize. The weird twist comes from the fact that the $5,000 has actual cash value. Whatever you end up with, you keep. So this is completely different than a poker tournament where you aren't finished until you're either out of chips or you have all the chips. Um, so what's your initial reaction, John? And do you think this event will get significant mainstream attention in January? 
Well, you know, it, it seems to me like poker tournaments have that win or die tradition. So it makes sense there. Uh, that's what everybody's used to. And uh, they've accepted the sort of rules of engagement. And, and there we go. But, uh, you know, while there's obviously significant overlap of players in, in the two betting pools, uh, I like this new concept philosophically. I, I think that risk is not necessarily a bad idea. I mean, ideally, some market research was done for a tournament this size to get a sense. But, uh, you know, at worst, they can retool it the next time. I mean, and as you right. know, the varied format may provide that some debate uh, and and therefore publicity out of the event. And that, that's not a bad thing. If it's just going to be uh, very similar to a poker tournament, you're not going to get as much attention. Um, you know, it's kind of the no such thing as bad publicity, which is not quite true, but uh, publicity is pretty good. And I think they'll get more of it because of this. Yeah. And that's a good point about how they could retool it after, after this, I was thinking something similar that, you know, I, I give DK credit for creativity. However, this turns out, there are some potential flaws in the format, but uh, you know, even if, some parts of this format fail, I see this event being used as a template where they learn what does and doesn't work and come up with a really strong live sports betting event format going forward. Uh, But at the same time, just on a strategic level, I am fascinated to see how this plays out. There are so many ways to approach it with your $5,000, you know, do you go big on day one, put all 5,000 on an underdog money line bet or a big parlay? And if it hits, you're in the lead. If it misses, your weekend is over. Uh, do you make a bunch of smaller bets? Do you barely bet at all and see what happens to everybody else on day one and then decide to either keep what's left of your 5, 5K if everyone else did well or, or start making moves if other people struggled? Um, I can't even begin to guess what the winning bankroll will be. Um, you know, like in a vacuum, Turning $5,000 into $20,000 with sports bets in a single weekend is huge. But in this format, I don't know, maybe you need 100000 to to win because one person's going to hit a, a huge parlay or something. It, it's fascinating. It'll be really interesting to watch. Yeah, I, this sort of seems to me would lend it to a temptation for a team thing, right? I mean, you got uh, sort of, uh, you know, different soldiers. You got a couple of do or die guys, right? Betting an underdog money line, bet it all on the first day, and a couple of them get wiped out. And then the next, mm. uh, you know, phase comes in and uh, you keep going through. And if you can march one of those uh, uh, frontline soldiers uh, forward uh, through day one or one and a half, um, then, you, then you can start to rethink, okay, do we keep him going for it all or do we now have somebody else try and catch up to him or yeah you, know, you know we'll see if somebody comes up with that idea yeah that's that's a great point because they do have the one entry limit you can't multi-entry but obviously if you come with a team of of 10 guys who each have their own individual entry but are playing sort of a team strategy that we want one of the 10 of us to win the million dollars and then we're gonna take some big risks to try and get that done uh yeah you're absolutely right that that could really shake things up if you do have groups of people sort of unofficially working together in that way. So a lot to watch there, uh, and it'll be uh, right in your home state of New Jersey. Uh, I don't know uh, quite what you have planned for the weekend of January 11th to 13th, but uh, I wouldn't be shocked uh, if you're doing a little live coverage when the time rolls around. Sounds good. (laughs) All right, John, uh, I know you have uh, things to do in Vegas, so I will handle the next segment on my own, and I'll talk with you again shortly when it's bankroll time. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. This week, 
Roto Grinders, a company well known for the past eight years as a leader in the daily fantasy sports space, announced it is expanding into sports betting and online poker with the launch of the RG Network, having acquired SharpSide.com and PocketFives.com. Cal Spears is the co-founder and CEO of Roto Grinders, uh, which I should note also has some ownership ties to U.S. bets. Uh, And Cal joins me now to discuss this week's RG Network news and much more. Cal, welcome to Gamble On. Hey, thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, excited to get the RG Network launched and excited to be an investor in what you guys are doing on U.S. bets. Cool. Well, let's start by talking about that RG Network news. Uh, the network includes Roto Grinders, Pocket Five, Sharp Side, and one that I haven't mentioned yet, uh, Fantasy Insiders, which focuses on season-long fantasy football. What's the goal in bringing all these entities together under one umbrella? Yeah, so it's it's positioning ourselves for the critical thoughts online gambling, gaming, industry verticals that uh, I think have a lot of overlap between each one. Mm. So sports betting, fantasy sports, online poker, and daily fantasy sports. Um, each of those have a, a, a similar, you know, a similar male audience, similar age range, uh, all guys who enjoy the fun of the game, but also full of aspirational players that want to be the best. Uh, there is profit to be made in all of these. There's winners and losers in, in all of these. And, uh, you know, you can create a lot of interactive content, a lot of statistical driven tools, uh, just a, a lot of, a lot of opportunity to create rich content and also a lot of opportunity for, um, affiliate and, and advertising upside. So we're trying to position ourselves right in the center of that. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Certainly the, the point about uh, demographic overlap uh, is under, undeniable. A lot of uh, not just the same uh, types of people, but also the same people uh, are into several, if not all, of those different verticals that, that you guys have gathered together now. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so we had uh, Sharpside's Donnie Peters on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago. Um, sports betting is the bell of the ball right now. It, it's the fastest growing of these verticals, the one everybody's talking about. Um, how important was it to you to extend from the fantasy sports space into the sports betting space? Like, how long is this something you've been thinking about? It's been something on our radar for uh for years and and you know before the Supreme Court announced they were going to take up the case last year, mm-hmm. it was just something incredibly hard to devote a lot of resources towards. And we also knew that what we were doing with Roto Grinders, the database we were building, the tools we were building, the people we were hiring, um, these guys are going to naturally cross over into sports betting content because it's all coming from the same stats. And arguably what we're doing with DFS is even more complex than anything we would have to do in sports betting. So, you know, we felt comfortable that we were at least putting the kind of team in place that we would need for sports betting. But in terms of pulling the trigger on building products, that was a little bit tougher. But then once the Supreme Court took up the case, the writing was on the wall, we started getting serious about it. Um, in terms of, you know, actually writing code, we got around to it during the summer, okay. but uh, you know, we've got a good team and put together SharpSide app and the SharpSide site really quickly, and now we're growing that team 
and um, you know, very very excited for the sports betting specific community and rankings that we can build there. But we also plan to do a lot of sports betting content on Roto Grinders as well. Okay. Uh, any surprises about the speed that things have been moving at since the Supreme Court's ruling in May? No, no. I mean, I mean, I, I've years ago when um, New Jersey uh, released online poker, there was a lot of excitement around uh, regulated poker in New Jersey expanding quickly into other states, potential pooling of that liquidity, and, and poker having its its big comeback. And that didn't happen. And, you know, now with this acquisition of Pocket Fives, we think that it's, it's going to be happening now as, as actual sports betting tax revenue pushes this expansion of online gambling. But, um, you know, I also, I've, I've lived through this before, so I'm not, I'm not getting overly excited about how fast it happens. You know, we're, we're hoping that it happens at that median case that Iris research uh, discusses where I think they said by 2022, we'd be looking at about 20 States with right. online gambling, with online sports betting. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that it just stays right on that pace and, and that it happens. And um, I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see Parks is coming online in Pennsylvania early next year. Hopefully New York comes online next year or at least gets their bill passed next year. And, you know, I'm just looking forward to this gradual rollout, generating significant tax dollars and, and, and other states falling one by one. Right. Um, yeah, and and you know you mentioning online poker and and pocket fives is a perfect transition to the next thing I wanted to talk about. You know, I know you've expressed optimism about online poker growing again. Um, does Pennsylvania going live cause a major leap, or is it not really until New York comes aboard that this will start to feel like another online poker boom in America? I would say it's it's New York coming on board and and pulling the liquidity. Like if we could have Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, that is a you know one of the largest poker websites, regulated poker website, player pools right there. Yeah. So I think that's when it really gets started. Um, you know, it's, it's there's a big question of like is Poker Stars just going to dominate it? Or is it going to be Poker Stars and WSOP dominating it? Or are uh, the 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 newer brands are they going to be able to to compete and, and have any liquidity in any decent sized tournaments? No, we'll see we'll see how it all plays out. But in terms of having good games for players to play, I think that's that's going to be happening. And I, you know, as a player myself, I personally look forward to the day where I can create my DFS lineups right up until noon central when the football games start. And then as soon as the football games start, open up poker stars and play in the regulated U.S. Sunday Million Poker Tournament. Uh, yeah, that, sound, that sounds like a, a dream uh, Sunday for a, a lot of us. Uh, maybe, maybe not for, uh, for our wives, um, but uh, for, <laughs> for, 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 uh, for those of us who are into all that stuff, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great Sunday. I mean, do you, do you feel like people are kind of sleeping on poker's potential right now because everyone is so fixated on sports betting, poker's fallen a little under the radar? I, yeah, I think it's under the radar, probably rightfully so, because the size of the market and the opportunity is, is so huge for regulated sports betting. Um, but but um, so that, that's where the majority of our focus and, and our investment is going to go as well. 
Right. But yeah, I mean, I think poker is going to happen and that a lot of people, a lot of people are sleeping on it and, and a lot of people just aren't, aren't believing that it's going to happen. But it seems pretty clear to me that, that the opportunity is, is going to be there and that casual players are going to be excited to have access to these big tournaments again. Right. Um, okay, so let's end with a with a fun one. Uh, you uh, just recently celebrated the one year anniversary of winning a million dollars on DraftKings. Uh, so uh, belated oh, yeah. congrats there. Um, I have two questions. Uh, first, did that score change your life in, in any significant way? It was the number one thing about that score was just the, the experience of winning it. You know, beating uh, this is a tournament that I play every week. 220 or 240,000 people in it, you know, everyone wants to win that tournament. And, uh, so that, that was an incredible experience. Just like being in the bar watching, uh, holding, like I was just like gripping the table for dear life at the end of that game, <laughs> trying, praying that Ezekiel Elliott didn't, you know, break a 30 yard touchdown run and, and, and cost me $900,000. Right. Um, and then, you know, and then winning it and celebrating going out to eat with, with, uh, all my friends having just a big celebration dinner that night, hearing from people. Like I heard from people that I hadn't heard from in 10 years that I didn't even know, you know, knew what DraftKings was. So, you know, the, the thing that I really, that really stands out to me about it is, is the experience itself. Uh, the money was, was uh, incredible. I used it to, I basically bought a couple of Airbnb properties here in Nashville with it. So hmm. I put it right into an investment that is that is doing well, and um, so you know, spend it spend it responsibly, and um, so it's not not like a, a it it it, adds, it definitely helps me have financial comfort for sure. But right. the biggest thing about it was was the experience itself. Right. Yeah, I'm 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 jealous of that. Every time that I enter a big tournament, I I say, you know, I just want a a sweat. I want to be somewhere near the near the top uh, at the end to to see what that feels like. I've never uh, never gotten to experience that yet, and it seems pretty thrilling. Um, my my second question uh, about the win: Has it stopped being weird after a year that Brian Hoyer helped you win a million bucks? <laughs> you know, it's the crazy thing is I couldn't remember which terrible 49ers quarterback it was on that team position and Garoppolo took it over stole the show and then CJ Beathard took over and um and and um I couldn't remember if it was Beathard or Hoyer that was even on that team I had to look it up because the you know what really stands out about that team was number one was George Kittle who um you know, our, our experts on Roto-Grinders were talking up all week because he had run 40 pass routes the week before. You know, he's a rookie tight end, very cheap, um, not on anybody's radar really, but he, was, he had run 40 routes. Mm. So, you know, I fit him in and it allowed me to pay for all those expensive wide receivers. And then the other, the other thing that really stands out was playing Aaron Jones, which, you know, he's been a darling the past couple of weeks in DFS, but he has – you know, you don't know if he's going to get more than 30% of the snaps. And um, last last year, week five with the injuries, it was it was a, a little bit better of a gamble to take, and nobody was really on it. So, you know, I remember Aaron Jones, and I remember George Kittle, but I, I couldn't even tell you which quarterback it was <laughs> that that uh, randomly threw for like 150 yards in the final five minutes of that uh, of that 
49ers. I think it was a 49ers-Giants game. Yeah, well, now, now you know. It was, it was Brian Hoyer, so if you ever bump into him <laughs> in real life, uh, give, him, give yeah. him a thank you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Cool. Well, it has been great talking to you, uh, Cal. So, uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and uh, best of luck with the RG Network. Thank you. Thank you. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. I'm joined by John again now, and we will get to the Fast Five shortly. Uh, but we start, as usual, with our shared bankroll, where there's good news and bad news. Uh, which do you want first, John? Uh, give me the bad news. <laughs> okay. Uh, the bad news is we went one and three on our bets last week and lost $310. Uh, you split your two bets. Michigan rallied to cover. Auburn did not. So a net loss of $10 there. Uh, but I had two losers. Uh, it's funny. My MMA expert friends actually suggested two underdog options to me. Uh, the one I took lost, but the other one that he threw out there, a smaller underdog, scored a last-second knockout win. Kind of a microcosm of how I'm picking and how I'm running lately that I chose the wrong <laughs> one. So we took a loss there, uh, and my over 53 points bet in Chargers Raiders didn't come through either. Uh, I placed two real football bets in New Jersey over the weekend that did win, uh, but uh, as far as pretend bankroll goes, I am hurting the team. So that's the bad news. Uh, you ready for the good news? Uh, I think I need some at this point. <laughs> All right. Well, the good news is we had a positive week with our futures bets. Uh, the Browns won in overtime, so they're inching Yay. closer to that six-win threshold we need. Uh, the Dolphins lost. They choked away a big lead against the Bengals, so our bet mm. of under six-and-a-half wins is looking a lot better than it was two weeks ago. Todd Gurley scored three more touchdowns as the Rams remained undefeated, giving him nine total touchdowns on the season. Uh, nobody else in the league has more than six. So he's looking incrementally better for our plus 1,800 bet to win MVP, although still a long shot. He's currently listed at plus 1,000. Um, and then there's your Brewers bet, which we will talk about shortly. Uh, but just to remind everyone, you got him at plus 2,000 to win the World Series way back uh, when we first started this podcast. They're now in the NLCS and are plus 450 to win it all. Um, so we are currently down $400 and with 1620 sitting out there in futures bets, the bankroll officially stands at $7,980 and you're up first this week to place a bet. Uh, Eric, I'm loving that girly pick right now. I gotta say that's uh, really interesting. <laughs> okay. uh, of course, Let's not get overconfident though. I love the Brewers pick, too, uh, yep, you know, yep. at, 20, at 20 to 1, but it's it's time to start thinking hedge, you know. I love the Brewers back in August in large part because of their bullpen, but I also love the offensive depth and versatility because I've seen too many teams die on the vine over their few key hitters slumping in a postseason series, and uh, the Brewers have so many mix-and-match pieces that anybody who's sort of uh, uh, not getting the job done, they've got somebody else who can fill in at the position. Uh, but you know what? The Dodgers have a similar group of hitters in that respect, uh, maybe even better, um, So I, and they have Kershaw, so. So uh, while their bullpen isn't up to snuff compared to the Brewers, uh, I'm going to risk 145 to win 100 on the Dodgers. Uh, so I can't just lose or win on that series. OK, that's 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 a good hedge. It, right. So if, if the Dodgers eliminate the Brewers, um, you know, we, we, we've broken even with the with the with the Brewers bet, basically, is what you're looking at there. Um, and, I, and I presume if the Brewers get through this, which is still certainly what we're rooting for, uh, uh, then uh, we'll do, do a little more hedging in the World Series, I suppose. 
That could happen. Okay. Uh, for my first bet, I know you don't like parlays, John, um, but I have one here that I came up with that just makes too damn much sense not to do it. Uh, it starts with wanting to bet on LeBron James to win MVP. He's about plus 350 to plus 400 at most sports books. He has the shortest odds of anyone. I think those odds are about right. Uh, and here's why. He hasn't won it since 2012, 2013, so there's no voter fatigue or backlash to deal with the way there will be this year with Harden uh, or the way there was last year toward Westbrook. Um, LeBron's on a new team. It's all new and fresh, uh, and they were a pretty bad team last year, so it'll be easy to point to LeBron and say he made all these young kids around him better uh, You know, if they improve by 15 wins or whatever it turns out to be. Uh, that's all LeBron. Uh, so if we can agree that LeBron is a pretty good candidate to win MVP, especially with, with Curry and Durant taking votes away from each other, then the way to bet him is on a parlay. Instead of plus 350 on LeBron, I'm taking Play Sugar House's plus 755 on a parlay of LeBron, MVP, and the Lakers to go over 48 and a half wins. Um, now look, to me, 48 and a half is a good line. I'm not sure that they're going to go over it, but if we're saying LeBron is going to be MVP, then that means the team has to be like a top five seed in the West and has to have won like 50 or more games. There's no way LeBron is MVP, but the under comes in on 48 and a half wins. Uh, to me, it's a perfect correlation play. Um, so I'm basically doubling my payout on LeBron as MVP at, to me, no additional risk. I'm betting 100 to win 755 on LeBron MVP and Lakers over 48 and a half wins. I, I love that. Um, you know, the converse is true. Also, if they win more than 48 and a half uh, games, then uh, suddenly LeBron has got a great chance to win the MVP. So right. uh, in either direction, uh, they they seem nicely correlated. So I, I actually like that one. Okay. Uh, so bet number three, I'm going to go back to the SEC as I have uh, in most weeks. Uh, I'm taking Alabama minus 27 and a half over Missouri. Um, for some reason, I've been a little resistant to uh, concede uh, Alabama's greatness. Uh, so why why this one? Missouri's got a, a future NFL quarterback in Drew Locke there, and I think that's that's the answer. Uh, it's a lot easier for the Tide to get fired up for this one uh, and erase any more lingering doubts for dopes like me about their status as alpha dogs, and I don't mean underdogs, um, <laughs> by really dominating that future NFL quarterback. I think, uh, you know, they're that good, and I think that, you know, there can be a week where they kind of uh, snooze a little bit and they don't cover a big number, but uh, this is the one uh, right in the, mid in the middle of the season before the biggest of the games that I think they get fired up for the most. Okay, and so what, what was the amount of that bet there? Uh, uh, 100 on Alabama minus 27 and a half. 100 bucks, okay. Um, for the final bet, I got to say, I'm kicking myself, John. Uh, I drove to New Jersey last week to place a few bets. And on FanDuel Sportsbook, they offer various bets on players' fantasy points. And before I got in my car, I was looking at the various options. And I saw Eagles tight end Zach Ertz's line of 12.5 FanDuel points. And I meant to bet the over. I loved the line. And I just forgot to make the bet before uh, before I drove home from New Jersey. Uh, it was too low a line on someone who's averaging eight catches on almost 12 targets a game. And, of course, he finished with 10 catches for 110 yards and a touchdown good for 22 fantasy points. I blew it. Just forgot to place the bet. Um, well, tonight, uh, Thursday night football against the Giants. Ertz's line is even lower, 11.5 FanDuel points. Uh, FanDuel only has half-point PPR, I realize, but still, uh, Ertz is Wentz's favorite target. I'm betting the over $110 to win 100 
Um, and we wrap up with the Fast Five. After week four, you were 11-9. and nine, I was 7-11-2, and two, and neither of us had a great week. But surprise, surprise, my week was the less great of the two. Uh, you went 2-3. and three, I went 1-4. and four, So you're just over 500 at 13-12. And, and I'm that guy that savvy bettors should start listening to carefully and then confidently bet the other way. Uh, I'm 8-15-2, and, uh, and you are up first this week. Uh, yeah, I got wiped out on Sunday, 0-3, but I uh, uh, had a laugher on Thursday night and a laugher on Monday night, so uh, uh, I didn't have to worry about that one. Just skip Sunday, and I was busy traveling anyway, so I didn't miss anything apparently. So uh, let, let's uh, start uh, this week with uh, – I want to go across the pond to London uh, hmm. where the Seahawks give just two points to the Raiders in the jet lag ball. Um, <laughs> I, I like to note how spreads would change based on close enough games, and at home the Seahawks were in the mix against the mighty Rams last week. So that's um, – you know, that, that's a – that's a pretty impressive statement, and the Seahawks could have hung on to win that game, and if they did, this would be a very different line. Well, they could have hung on to win that game. So, uh, you know, the Raiders are a little better than some think, but they're, they're, they're not good. So uh, I've got the Bills plus uh, eight and a half versus the Texans also. Um, Buffalo is awful in the rare spots as a favorite or even a modest dog, but if you, once you leave them for dead, uh, as was set up against the Vikings, against a modest team like this one, uh, give me the TD plus. Uh, and then uh, number three, I'm going to go with the Titans plus two over the Ravens. Um, Titans are a feisty home team in winnable games in the last few years, uh, including last year and early this year, especially as a home dog. So uh, the Ravens did not impress versus the Browns last week, and I, I, uh, uh, and I thought they would. So uh, kind of turning on them a little bit. Uh, Vikings minus nine and a half versus the Cardinals. Uh, uh, historically, I, I tend to slightly fear the winless team against the spread until they get an outright win because they got to get a win. Uh, but once they get one, as the Bills did a couple weeks ago and as the Cardinals did last week, mm-hmm. uh, then, you know, the little bit of pressure off the bad team. So plus the Vikings are still at below their own expectations. So uh, they certainly have no room to uh, to breathe easy. So and last one is the Steelers plus three versus the Bengals. Uh Bengals are four and one, which goes back to my mantra about uh, longtime mediocre franchises and games they can lose and not to mm. feel stressed. And Bengals four and two is a good start for them. Uh, you know, witness my Saints pick against the Redskins on Monday night. Same concept. Redskins would have been in great shape with a win, but guess what? They're still in first place, so they uh, uh, they just didn't show up. Uh, it's it's weird, but it kind of happens. These yeah. teams are trying. The players are trying, but there's trying, and then there's having to win. Uh, the Steelers are a mess, but this division always tightens and. Uh, uh, their pedigree is just too good for me to uh, think they're going sinking uh, in this one. Okay. Uh, I like your logic on all of those, and uh, you'll be happy to know we have zero head-to-heads and two picks that we actually agree on. So perhaps that Uh-oh. bodes well for me. It might bode horribly for you. We'll see. Yeah. Um, certainly what I've been doing so far isn't working. You know, I had a great week one, went 4-1, and one, but since then I'm 4-14-2, a really awful streak. It's a, it's a good thing I didn't enter the Super Contest for real. Um, so I'm going to change it up this week and try something a little different and try to make a few picks based on a single trend that I'm seeing. So far in the 2018 NFL season, home underdogs are 14 and 7 against the spread, and last week they went 4 and 0. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to bet every home dog on the board. There are six of them this week, so I couldn't pick them all even if I wanted to. But I'm devoting two of my five picks to home dogs, and the first one is one that was uh, on your uh, slate of picks as well. The Titans 
plus two against the Ravens. Obviously, with a two-point line, I'm saying I think the Titans can win outright, uh, and I do believe that. Both teams are, are coming off dismal losses last week, but the Titans have shown flashes in every game. They have a legitimately solid defense. I think they're just a hair underrated this game. Feels like it should be a pick'em in Tennessee. So, uh, given that I can cover if the Ravens win by a single point, uh, I'm I'm in on this home dog. Um, second, I'm getting on that Browns bandwagon. They are one-point dogs at home against the Chargers, who are traveling across three time zones. The Browns are building some confidence, and hey, if it ends up a tie, which every Browns game threatens to do, uh, that would mean the Browns cover. Uh, so I've got those are my two home dogs. My three remaining picks are not home dogs, uh, but one of them is a short home favorite. It's almost like the disrespect of being a home dog. Uh, Washington, minus two at home against the Panthers. Carolina eked one out at home against the Giants last week. They're not as good on the road. I think they should be a full field, field goal underdog here, so I'm taking that extra point that I'm getting with Washington. Next, our second pick that we agree on, I'm taking a game where there is no home team or road team, really. Uh, It's the Seahawks, favored by two over the Raiders in London. I don't see why Seattle isn't at least a full field goal favorite on a neutral field. I like the Seahawks there. Um, And my final pick, I'm going with the marquee game of the week. Uh, The Pats are three and a half point favorites over the unbeaten Chiefs. I really hesitate to take an Andy Reid team over a Bill Belichick team, but it's it's the regular season, not the playoffs, and Andy's uh-huh. team has more talent overall, I think, and they're getting that extra half point, that three and a half, so they can lose by a field goal and still cover. So I like the Chiefs here, uh, and frankly, I can absolutely see them winning outright, which I'll just note, plus 156 on the money line at FanDuel. That's uh, something worth thinking about if you believe in the Chiefs here. But anyways, uh, my, f- my five picks are Titans, Browns, Redskins, Seahawks, Chiefs. So we have two in common and no head-to-heads. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. So thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore Bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, I hand it over to you to take us out. And from the desert, I'd just love to say, uh, until next time, gamble on. Gamble on.